Welcome to the Value Investor TV podcast. This is the podcast that helps you grow your wealth and become financially independent. My name is Becco and my partner, Hari. Hello. How are you guys? I uh, hope you guys are doing well. In this episode, we're going to be talking about uh, Joe Greenblatt and his, uh, his magic formula. Um, we talked about it in the previous episode when it came to uh, spinoffs. We talked in detail about who he was, who he is, what his kind of philosophy is in terms of the special situations and in particular spinoff. And in this episode, we're going to dive, we're going to cover another dimension of his uh, strategy, which is, uh, which is called the magic formula. Um, uh, He he wrote a book that talks about this. Um, Hari, do you want to show it to our audience? Yeah. There we go. It's called the little book that beats the market. And he had a follow-up to it called Little Book That Still Beats the Market. Um, so they are two different books, but um, yeah. both you know worth reading um, and mm-hmm. can be picked up fairly cheaply on used or uh, on Amazon uh, or buy it new. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I read them both. Highly, highly recommend anybody who is interested in investing to re- take take a look at this these books. And there are a lot of actually good um, speeches and interviews that's, that was done online on YouTube. So go check them out. Just Google Joe Greenblatt, uh, Value Investor. You'll be able to find a ton of information out in the in the internet. But again, uh, th- in this episode, we're going to be talking about specifically his magic formula. Now, it was a it's a formula that he built, and he describes it in his book. Um, and we're going to dive a, do a deep dive into, into that. Um, so, um, actually before we do, um, Hari, could you, uh, give us a disclaimer? Yeah. So this podcast, the value investor TV podcast is here to educate and entertain you on, uh, the concepts of that are behind value investing. Um, you know, if you are making investment decisions and, um, you know, please consult with a financial advisor, uh, before doing so. Uh, and, uh, you know, we are not financial advisors and we don't know your individual situation. Yeah. So don't, don't, uh, don't rely on us to make, uh, to make financial decisions. Uh, definitely, uh, consult your financial advisors. All right. Uh, let's get, let's get into this, Hari. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about, about the formula itself, why it's so important, what it is, et cetera? Yeah. It may be worthwhile to just kind of Tell everyone, um, in case they'd forgotten or they missed the spinoff episode, just tell us a little bit about George, uh, George, Joel Greenblatt and, you know, his chops as an investor. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, George, Joel Greenblatt, um, he, he runs, uh, Gotham, Gotham Investment. Uh, it's a, it's an investment value, very value focused investment fund. Um, he's now, he's also an adjunct professor at Columbia. He teaches course on value investing. Um, he is one of the heavy hitters in value investing world. So in the value investing world, obviously the big hitter, obviously Warren Buffett is the Oracle himself. Uh, you got Joel Greenblatt, you have, um, you have many other guys in the field, but Joel, Joel Greenblatt is one of the, one of the big, big names in value investing community. And that's because his number speaks for itself. Um, for the last 20, 30 years, his return has been uh, 40% on, on average, compound annual growth rate of 40%. Um, so his, you know, his, his number speaks for itself. It speaks to the power of compounding, um, you know, compounding uh, investment strategy. And if you take a look at how does he invest, you know, the question is, what is, 
what is his specific flavor of value investing he um you know he's really into special situations um so we talked about that just just now special situations are for example if a company is going through a bankruptcy is there an asset that you could you, you could um you could you could pick up um that are undervalued uh, that's another that's one strategy um another strategy is what what I, what what we just talked about <clears throat> excuse me which is a spin-off uh what that is is when a company gets too big and let's say a company is involved in building uh, cameras and one of their subsidiary is involved in building for example car parts it's two different it's a two different business altogether but they happen to be under one company what they will do is they will spin off uh, one of the companies as a, as an independent entity, so that's called spinoff. And there's a lot of um, a lot of elements at play when a subsidiary is spinoff, when when a subsidiary is spun off, and it it, um, it lends itself nicely to value investing um, play because there are elements at play that really forces the price of the subsidiary or the parent company to go down. So it, it's a fertile ground to look. And Joel Greenblatt, among others, have been really championing this strategy. Um, so going back to your question, Hari, <clears throat> excuse me. Yeah, Joel Greenblatt, again, he's a, he's a really big name value investor. And um, those are some of the areas that he, he, that he uh, really champions. And today we're going to be talking about another aspect of his strategy, which is uh, magic formula. Yeah, and... Yeah. I think it's kind of important important to understand that with uh with Greenblatt you know he was trying to focus on um companies that were selling for a good price um and were also selling you know a, a, as a good business right and so the idea behind you know what Greenblatt is doing is um he's taking the marrying the best of both worlds right he's taking a company that has a uh, that is cheap and is good Right. So in, you know, the kind of Benjamin Graham kind of philosophy where it was, you know, trying to buy a company that was super cheap based on assets, um, you know, um, a net net or, um, you know, companies that were trading basically for less than their entire working capital uh, and current assets. Uh, you know, that that kind of company uh, is not, you know, something that you find very often anymore. Um, mm -hmm. And so what, what Greenblatt really was trying to help uh, elucidate with this is, uh, and there are actually a lot of other investors who kind of follow this, but, you know, finding a, a company that is uh, not only is cheap, but is also has a high return on uh, capital. That's how he defines a good business, right? Mm -hmm. and, and the idea behind that is, you know, we had talked about um, a couple episodes ago, GameStop, right? And, you know, we had seen a, a business that had, you know, a very good asset, you know, you know, had a, a strong balance sheet, um, but there were, you know, earnings were kind of slowly eroding the companies in an industry that's not working out so well. Um, and the problem with using their, you know, assessing it based on their balance sheet is that um, the company may engage in, uh, you know, trying to like resurrect itself and burn all all of its available capital in doing so right so trying to turn around a business is not necessarily an easy thing to do um so when you're trying to buy what we're trying to find is good companies so companies that aren't net what you know we saw in gamestop which was a value trap and so we have a good business but we also don't want to pay too much 
for that, right? And I think that's, it's a very powerful concept because essentially this, you know, we're in, you know, almost 70 episodes into the podcast. We've basically talked about that entire concept this whole time, right? Is we want to buy good companies. That's why we have a checklist to identify what are the pitfalls with those companies. And we want to buy them cheaply, right? We want a significant margin of safety before we'll, we'll purchase. So yeah. the same concept that Greenblatt is applying here, he has given it, distilled it down to two formulas that actually cover a lot of stuff. Now, we'll talk about what he does in the book. Um, and then we'll kind of, uh, you know, talk about how we actually think he uses this in real life, right? Because mm-hmm. I think um, I think he still uses the same formulas to pick his stocks, right? He kind of uses this to screen what businesses are available to him, uh, what are good good stocks that are cheap, and then he filters it down even further um, by doing the analysis, going through his checklist if he uses one, um, and then so we're you know proposing this concept as a way to identify good businesses that are cheap mm-hmm. for then you all to then start using that as a, not as the end lo- list of companies to buy, but as a starting point for companies that you would want to uh, investigate and then yeah. you know purchase for your own portfolio. So mm-hmm. yeah, to, to look further. Yeah. So, so for, um, so let's get started with that. And, you know, if you are not familiar with some of the terms that we're going to use, cause we're going to, talk a lot about financial statements in this episode. I highly encourage you to go back to uh, our episode talking about financial statements. Um, We're going to be looking at all three of them uh, to some extent here. So the income statement, the balance sheet, and the cash flow. Um, So, you know, if you want to listen to those episodes before going forward, I'd highly recommend it. That way you're not lost as we're talking through this. Mm -hmm. Okay, so um, let's, let's get into the um, discussion around, um, and before we, we give you all of the formulas, let's just talk about the components that go into the formula. So, um, he uses EBIT, which is earnings before interest and taxes, um, as a measure, um, to identify, uh, you know, for how much money the company is making. Right. And the idea is that the company is highly leveraged, um, you know, it, it may have a lot of interest payments. It may have a, you know, a tax structure that is not necessarily tied to, um, you know, it, it may be different if they were in a different area or a different region, uh, or if, you know, um, there is a federal government change in the, you know, the tax code, um, you know, that'll impact it. So what he looked for was um, using EBIT. Um, and the idea is that he's actually really trying to find a more normalized value for cash flow. Right, so what he is, what I've seen him talk about is, is actually free cash flow, as in EBITDA minus the maintenance capital capital expenditures. So, in a company that's got a lot of is is kind of a normalized business, they've been operating for a long time. EBIT and free cash flow will, you know, will kind of mirror each other in some, you know, to you know they they will track each other as businesses go. Um, but you know, he, he says stick to EBIT, um, because EBIT is a good number that you can, uh, rely upon, uh, across, you know, businesses, right? Um, the other thing is that this formula does not apply to financial companies. So banks and, um, insurance companies, you know, you should kind of stay away from those, um, yeah. uh, cause they, they would not really apply here cause they're 
uh, structure is slightly different than you know what he's doing. So, mm. so EBIT is will be used in both parts of the equation. Um, and then he uses um, enterprise value. So we've probably mentioned enterprise value before. Um, so the market cap of a company is the number of shares outstanding times the price. Um, so that and that's usually diluted shares outstanding. So um, that gives you the market cap. So diluted is even with the options available, the potential shares that could be available. Um, mm-hmm. And then you actually add in the long-term debt uh, the total debt to the to the company as well. Um, mm-hmm. So what you're trying to do is see is what does this company make EBIT and relative to its enterprise value, right? And the reason that we want to do it that way is if you see a company that's made a, a lousy bet based because they've levered, leveraged up debt-wise, right? If they have a high amount of debt, well, that will actually lower their um, earnings yield, right? So look at price to earnings ratio, right? If you have the price to earnings ratio, um, that is price over earnings per share, right? That is the net income divided by the shares outstanding uh, gives you the earnings per share. And then the price is the the other side of the house, right? But the price doesn't take into account what is the debt that is loaded up on the balance sheet, right? So if you were to buy this company outright, you would have to buy the company plus pay off its debt. And right, that's mm-hmm. how the concept behind enterprise value. Yep. So he takes that into um, what he calls earnings yield, right? Which is EBIT divided by enterprise value. So if you take those two numbers, EBIT divided by enterprise value, you get an earnings yield, um, which is in some ways the inverse of the price to earnings ratio, but it's using a, a different, you know, two different uh uh, measurements there, mm-hmm. but it's also important, like we talked about with maintenance capex and other things, to use the um, normalized earn EBIT, right? So you you don't want to, you know, if a company has one good year or one bad year, it's affected by one-off expenses, things like that. You want it to be normalized across the EBIT, right? So you yeah. want it to be something that you can. Rely, rely upon as this is how much they actually would have earned in a normalized situation. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Becco, uh, you know, any comments there on, on the yeah. earnings yield? I just want to, I think we should have done maybe a better job at explaining what magic formula, kind of the purpose of magic formula is. I think you, you touched on it briefly, but I want to emphasize this. Magic formula, you know, Joe Greenblatt put together this formula for obviously for his own investment purposes for his own investment um, practice but also for everyone else to look at see he actually actually has a website that screens out um that that filters out um companies based on this formula and so this what what it is this formula you know this what what it is is it's just a combination of um um how 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 efficient the company is so we, we classically look at return on equity. So it's just a little modified versions of what we usually look at to filter out companies for himself, but also for everyone else in the, in the wild, in the investment community to look at, uh, to find good investment. Again, this is, you know, basically he's just funneling down, you know, there's like 6,000 publicly traded companies or something like that in the US yep. alone. Yep. What he's doing is he's using this formula 
to filter out 6,000 companies to a manageable number, for example, 50 or 100. And then, like Hari said, uh, we can go through those 50 and 100 and, and take a look at them more closely. Yeah, and so and what, what, what this is doing is, 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 is basically that filter. Right. Hari? So we, we will talk about what those cutoffs will be um, in a little bit, like, you know, what, what, what are good numbers to use? Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, so just going back to that, you know, the, the earnings yield, right. Mm-hmm. You know, the inverse of the price to earnings ratio. Um, but, but using more specific numbers, so EBIT and enterprise value, um, you kind of see how much, if I were to buy this entire company, pay off all of its debt, right? That's the amount of cash that I, I would have to outlay if I were owning this business. Mm-hmm. What would my yield be on, you know, how much money would it generate per year, right? Mm-hmm. And if you look at, you know, some of these companies um, that are, you know, tech companies that are trading at 30 times earnings, right? Their earnings yield, you know, the inverse, assuming they had no debt, right? Would be around two or 3%. Um, yeah, because the enterprise value would be so high. Yeah, because the enterprise value is high, relative to how much they earn, right? And so if, uh, conversely, a company that has an earnings, a PE of 10, right, you invert that, that'll give you, a, a, a assuming also no debt, earnings yield would be about 10%, right? Mm-hmm. So you look at companies like that, and that um, imagine that means that if the company never grew its earnings, in 10 years, you would pay off your 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 purchase price plus the debt, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Which is another way of thinking about this: is how quickly yeah. do I pay it off? Yeah. So, and you know, to give you an idea of what that is in, like, say, a real estate market, uh, you know, real estate uh, a ten cap, right, is is the capitalization rate. Ten cap is, you know, you'd get about a ten percent a year is is considered a really good return, right, for a, mm-hmm. a business, right? Um, we, you know, and that would correspond to a PE of roughly ten, right? Mm-hmm. Private businesses can go for about a PE of seven or eight, right? Which is an earnings yield of 12%. So I'm throwing these numbers out there because what we are trying to get you to look at is when you look at any of the investments that you may be going through regularly, you know, there's other ways of thinking about how how profit, you know, how much money are you earning on your business, right? And this is just no different than any of those you know things p e yeah. price to free cash flow um he's using enterprise value because it it takes into account how much you would have to pay off for debt, which is i yeah. think a, a very good way to think about it right I think so as well. If I could just add a comment there, Hari, yeah. I think a lot of people forget about people look at market capitalization and that's it, but in reality that's much more than that. You have to take into account debt, yeah, and so enterprise value I think really shines light on that aspect. Another comment that I want to make is, you know, you talked about the efficiency, like the the um, investment yield, yeah. you know. I think the, a good way to think about that is, I think about like a car, you know. You have, you have a car that can go 100 miles per gallon versus you have a car that can go 10 miles per gallon. You want, obviously, everything aside, stylistic things aside, cultural things aside, you want a car that can go as far as you can with minimal amount of gas as possible. Right. So I, I think about it in a very similar term, <clears throat> excuse me, with companies. If a company can generate you know, $100 million with a billion base capital, that's, you know, that's again, that's 10%. 
But if a company can generate, let's say, $500 million with a base capital of a billion, that's 50%. You want that. You want right. the latter. Right. You know, I, th- I, I think about this concept. It's very similar to gas per mile um, yeah. with cars. Yeah. And so that that is good a good transition into the second part of the formula, right? Which is what Becco is kind of alluding to there is the return on the capital, right? Return on how much you put in. So, you know, the first one is how much you pay for the entire business. How much does it earn? This is the same thing. We still use EBIT here also. Um, but EBIT will now be... So EBIT is the numerator for both of the formulas, but the denominator is actually similar to what we do when we talk about, um, excuse me, return on equity or uh, return on capital. Um, this is actually a re- return on capital employed is another way to, to look at this, right? And so return on capital employed, um, you know, there are a lot of these formulas um, and I think the terminology is not necessarily um, standardized. So um, you may hear this, but, um, you know, used with return on capital with different things, there's return on invested capital, return on tangible capital. Um, so this may fall under the return on tangible capital also. Um, so the formula, though, is for the denominator is net working capital, which is the current assets minus current liabilities, plus the net fixed assets. So that is your... Um, you know, these are long-term assets that you have in a business. So net fixed assets are, um, you know, purchase of property, plant, and equipment is probably where you would see that on the balance sheet, um, property, plant, and equipment rather, um, minus any depreciation that the business has accumulated, which is the net fixed part of it, or the net fixed assets. So there's another way. uh, Could you repeat that for us one more time, that denominator? So net working capital is the current assets minus current liabilities plus the net fixed assets, which is purchase, uh, it's, which is property, plant, and equipment, uh, net of any uh, depreciation that, that is encountered on there, right? So let's think about what, what they're actually trying to tell you there, right? Mm-hmm. Is like forgetting the formula for just a second, if I were... You know, if I were to take this money that I have in the business, how much is it going to return to me, um, you know, for my investment, right? So it's not, we're not talking about businesses, um, like we're not looking at how much cash is the in the bank, we're not, which is, would be included in a return on equity formula. We are not looking at intangible assets like goodwill, right? We are talking about assets that are actually used in the day-to-day operations of the business, right? Mm-hmm. The equipment, the trucks, the um, you know, the physical infrastructure that's required for that. And then any current assets, which are things that'll be cur- turned into cash, accounts mm-hmm. receivable, inventory, minus any current liabilities, right? So those are accounts payable um, and you know, other, you know, the um, current liabilities also includes any part of the working, you know, of the long-term debt that is due this year. So the idea here is that you're trying to... So hold on a second. Yeah. So um, so the long-term uh, liability is included, you said? No, it is It is only the current portion of the long-term liabilities. Okay. So so the, the, long-term, the long-term liability is not included in this formula. Correct. 
Okay. So the, the idea here is um, only the things that we will be using on the day-to-day basis will affect mm-hmm. this company, right? Mm-hmm. So any um, so th- there's another way of getting to this uh, formula, which is... So, so before I... Well, actually, before I move on. So networking capital and net fixed assets. So if you look in there, if you break down that working capital, you will also see that we have current... In the current assets, we will have cash, right? So we want to take out any cash that is excess to running of the business, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, some people will say all cash is excess. Some people will say, you know, only a, a small percentage of it, you know, should be removed because you still need cash as part of paying your bills and that kind of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, one way to do this is to say anything that's above like a small percentage of the working capital. So like anything that's above like 10% of working capital that's in cash, you remove from that. So, I mean, if it makes it easier, you can just remove all of the cash from the, <clears throat> the equation, especially for large you know, businesses that generate a lot of cash. Think about tech companies. Um, they have a lot of cash on the balance sheet. Um, you're removing this excess cash because cash is not necessarily used in the day-to-day operations of the business, right? Mm-hmm. They're not the company is making a product or selling a service. They're not using the cash as a um, like they're not um, loaning the cash out as part of their na- day-to-day operations, right? Mm-hmm. They may be doing so on a financial basis, but not on a standard operating. So that that includes any short-term investments. You would also want to remove those. Right, if they put it so, into treasury bills. So if I could maybe, if I can maybe summarize that point really quick. Yeah. So really, at the end of the day, what we want to get out of this denominator is we want to come to a number, uh, an asset, a b- asset base <clears throat> that company uses to run the company. So, for yeah. example, cash that is not. Um, the cash that is not part of running the company right. is excluded from this. Right. Also, a long-term liability that is not part of running the company is, is excluded from this as well. Correct. So you're looking at working um, working asset plus fixed asset minus um, minus the, the the depreciation and also minus uh, the current portion of the liability. Right. Is and, that correct? Sorry. Correct. And you want to take out yeah. any excess cash, you know, as we as you mentioned there. There's mm-hmm. another way of also looking at this, and if if it's helpful for you, um, you can do so. Think about it this way: you can take the total assets of the business, and you can also and start subtracting out the current liabilities, and subtract out intangibles like goodwill, and then subtract out excess cash. Right? You will effectively get to the similar a similar number by yeah. doing so. Could you repeat that again for our listeners? Yeah. So taking the total assets, mm-hmm. subtracting out current liabilities, right? So that is not any different than what we're doing, right? I'm getting to the same formula. I'm just now doing it a different way, right? Mm-hmm. I'm now subtracting out intangibles. So goodwill, uh, these are non-tangible you know, tangible things like uh, goodwill and uh patents, you know, those kind of things that are mm-hmm. on the balance sheet that were purchased from another company. And I'm taking out the excess cash. So I'm left with the same formula, right? Networking capital plus net, net, net fixed assets. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the reason that we don't include goodwill in that is goodwill is a historic 
cost, right? As part of my day-to-day business, I am not paying that cost every day, right? I'm not having to, I'm not using that as part of the operations of the business, right? That was a historical mm-hmm. cost. It's not an ongoing thing. So if I, I'm going to throw out something here, if you are more interested in learning this, you know, Berkshire Hathaway, Warren Buffett writes letters. Um, in 1983, he wrote a letter uh, explaining why he doesn't include goodwill in the, um, in his uh, uh, measurement of return on capital right and it's a good letter to understand why goodwill is not it's there on the balance sheet it's there for a reason but it doesn't necessarily help you understand how profitable the business is because goodwill is not useful there i want Mm -hmm. to also emphasize that what you were finding with these magic formula companies is you're finding typically finding asset light businesses right so if we look at the denominator again current assets minus current less liabilities plus the net fixed assets right so net fixed assets are buildings and things like that if you are a software company you don't have a lot of net fixed assets right you don't need a lot of trucks and equipment and uh shipping car uh, containers and things like that mm-hmm. to, to do part of your business right so if the the denominator is smaller then your return on capital is higher right so we mm-hmm. would look at businesses that are in the service industry um, think of like um, tech consulting company like Accenture um, or a uh, or a software company like Microsoft. Those companies will appear on the screen frequently because they have very light business, uh, you know, assets uh, yeah. you know, relative to their uh, working uh, of their business. Yeah. Could I just mention that mention this really quick? Yeah. Maybe a good point to summarize what we said here. Yeah. So Hari, you know, you mentioned two formulas. So two, really it's like a quotient. It's just a quotient. Yeah. So the first quotient, quotient that you mentioned was um, you have the EBIT, which is a measurement of the return uh, of your money divided by your enterprise, enterprise value. Right. So that was the first formula. The second formula is same, same numerator, EBIT, which is just, again, a measurement of your, your earnings divided by... Um, um, capital employed. Yeah. So, or capital employed. So, uh, we, we talked about that formula adding, um, you know, adding in working capital, adding in fixed capital, and subtracting uh, non performing, non essential assets such as cash out of that denominator. Right. So, I just wanted to point that out. That's a high level. We we're talking about two different formulas here. Uh, one, like I said, was EBIT divided by, divided by enterprise value. And the second one is EBIT divided by capital employed. Yep. <clears throat> All right. Just wanted to summarize that for uh, for our listeners. Yeah, so simpler, you know, the formula itself is not that complicated, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think, um, you know, it, it, it's a very powerful formula because, uh, you know, what he is looking for is businesses that have a very high return on capital and a, but are trading at a very cheap price. So if you just get those two things right, you've eliminated you know a ton of companies that are, um, you know maybe they're cheap but they're also lousy businesses, right? Mm-hmm. Or maybe they are good businesses in terms of, uh, but they're not trading for a cheap price, right? Mm-hmm. So you merge the two concepts together, and you know I think in Greenblatt's book he talked about 
um, the return on those as 25 plus percent per year, mm-hmm. uh, 25 to 30% per year. And, um, you know, he, he has also mentioned that, you know, it, one out of four years, it doesn't really work all that well. But in the years that it does succeed, it really, you know, you don't need too many times earning 25% a year to, <laughs> to make a lot of money, right? And exactly. you do that a few times and, uh, you know, over time that will, you, I mean, you'll compound your money 10x every 10 years um, yeah. around 25%. So that's a fantastic return. Yeah, it's a great return. I want to <clears throat> encapsulate what you said earlier, um, Hari, which is, you know, as value investors, we look for good companies. We look for cheap companies that are good, right? Yep. So those are two different yardsticks, good companies and a cheap company, two different yardsticks. And effectively, Joel Greenblatt, by introducing um, these two formulas, is he's effectively saying these two formulas correspond to good and correspond, and then the other one correspond to uh, cheap. Yep. So the first for, the first formula is cheap is for is to figuring out the cheap, and the second formula is to figure out good. And we'll talk about we we'll talk more in detail about that in the next episode. Yeah, I think we we can kind of walk through how you would use this in practice um, mm-hmm. to screen for companies. How we think Greenblatt does it based on what we've read um, over the over the years. Um, so. You know, we look forward to explaining that in the next episode. Awesome, awesome. Anything else you want to add before we close out this one? No, I. You know, I. I think um, in the past we've kind of talked about the checklist. Um, you know, if you are, um, if you want to communicate with us, or if you have any questions about what we talked about today, or you want a copy of the checklist, you can email us at info at valueinvestor.org or tweet at us um, at valueinvestortv. Um, and those are good ways to get a hold of us. We have a lot of people asking questions. Uh, we're happy to answer and uh, happy to get any feedback uh, on the podcast. So, uh, awesome. please, please email. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Um, we'll see you on the next episode. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks.